this whole idea of straight, gay, all this, uh, the, these finite boxes that are put, been put in are actually not natural. If you, look at the, if you look at the civilizations and the groups that have come before us, things like Native American culture, five different genders, multi-genders, even animals in the wild that have some that can go back and forth between sexes or explore same-sex relationships. So keep exploring your gender identities. Come out even younger. Get rid of gender reveal. Let's talk about when a child is born and how, we, and how we allow them to choose in their own way. And cultivating a future that allows for that type of freedom while also creating deep, meaningful connections. Hey dolls, welcome to The Gaily Dose, a family of queer people who have fun, elevated conversation to build a deeper sense of community in our LGBTQ world. Check us out at thegailydose.com or at The Gaily Dose Pod on all social media. Girl, you better come get your Gaily Dose. Welcome to The Gaily Dose. This is Helmut Lucero Domogolski. As always, it is Dante Adonis Rhodes. And I am Jake Jones. This episode is sponsored by AHF, where you can get all of your gay healthcare needs addressed. Find them at ahf.org. Yes, and we are so excited because we are celebrating Pride here at The Gaily Dose. And we are excited to have the the amazing Liliana Bakhtiari, our city council person, with us today to celebrate Pride in the non-binary. We're going to have a great dialogue with her. Um, I want to ask you, boys, though, what what is it about this season that you have enjoyed the most? It's the season finale. And I have a narrative because it was the funniest part of the season to me by far. But when we did our financial fetish episode, (laughs) we did the best call to Kiki I've ever seen in my life. And it was led by Dante Adonis Rose. And he goes... FYF, what does that mean, everybody? Everybody, what does FYF mean? And I'm giving the most wholehearted (laughs) guess of all time. And he goes, fist your friends. That's funny. Yeah, really cute. That just really threw me down a flight of stairs. (laughs) And I will never forget it, in all honesty. What was you guys' favorite part of the season? Dante? Um, I would say, you know, doing this now for two, can I believe it's been two seasons, two years of doing this, over 100 episodes, it has been a journey that has been like unlike any other in terms of a creative space of things that I've done. Um, like in the five years I did my own website, lifebydungeon.com, and all the things that went along with that, never did I feel so connected to an audience like I do with this one. And I think one of the most rewarding things about doing a second season of this podcast is finally feeling like there's an impact outside of like us talking in a room to each other, like yeah. going out and about. And because it's very, it's a local podcast. We'll get yeah. it. We're not, we're not national girlies yet, but locally, like having people come up to me, whether it's like at a bar, even like at my job, people come to me all the time and I'm like, oh my God, I listened to this and saw this. Like they're one of the 180 viewers we have in one of the episodes. I'm like, they're that them knowing or them feeling like something I said, like touched them. Like it has like such a marked impact on like my own like mental space and like feeling like I've, have impact like I'm someone who's big on like verbal affirmation so like people yeah. saying that to me yeah. works wonders and then on top of that having the incorporation of Jake and Daniel to our podcast has like been such an incredible amazing journey it's hot sexy oh, fly. it's been amazing no like this yeah. one right here the personality the body uh, the I, hair all of it I will I will only add to that that I I had no idea that as we extended into the queer community, the kind of reception we would have, right? So I have heard of young lesbian girls who've walked up to our cast members and have said, oh my God, I love the episode that you guys did. And I just haven't been taught that way. I have young trans women who are coming up to us talking about our episodes to the trans community with the addition of Diane. Also, I just, it is I amazing. Say my favorite moment from this season, Cyrus, she's a very dear friend of mine, close she's friend of mine. Great episode. 
episode. That was one of the best, if not the best episodes. Thank you, Diane, for facilitating that. One of the best episodes we have had on our platform since we started November 17, 2020. Like, literally, like, the day hold right the book. Yeah. Like, if you haven't listened to that episode of, uh, what is it, um, Choosing Humanity, please go see it. It's the moment. This is the bee's knees. Absolutely. And, and I would just say there are so many episodes in our Pride series that I am so proud of. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I'm just so thankful that we're able to be... Um, this and this time for our people at this place, mm-hmm. right? And it's a very, I mean, no, I'm serious. At this, this point in history, you guys know about, I talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. We're in a very important place in history and we're just getting to facilitate our voices here That's in right. Atlanta. So very how about let's celebrate some pride with Miss yeah. Liliana. Yes. Oh, girl, turn that down. Queer events is on. All right, dolls. Welcome to our last queer event of season two. Thank you, dolls, for tuning in this season again, as I keep saying. Um, this segment is brought to you, as always, by Joining Hearts, committed to making a difference in the AIDS community in Atlanta. Join the fight, join the fun at joininghearts.org. And don't forget, if you're seeing this, we are about a month out from Joining Hearts, that main event, like the whole weekend they do. So make sure you get your tickets now, because it is a party you do not want to miss. Love and light. I know. So. And as this episode falls, we get towards the end of the Pride Month. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is the anniversary of Stonewall. And when we are in Pride Month, we never want to forget the history and the start of Pride, especially in the United States. With Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, it was led by two trans-identifying women and the event of Stonewall. So as we go through Pride Month, as we end off Pride Month, we always want to acknowledge where it started and get that into why we are here today, Mm -hmm. being able to be public on a platform and speak to you about queer issues and queer events. I mean, without them, this, without pride and what the importance of it we wouldn't have a podcast called the gaily we wouldn't be courageous enough to say hey we're queers over here yeah and if you think about it the the flag the new flag that we have has people of color and trans at the very heart and center of that of that flag right and it's the reason why i've not seen it I haven't seen it. Yeah. I know it's right over there, but I haven't. And that's the reason why, right? Is because it kind of gives homage to the fact that it's people of color and it is the trans community that were the beginning of the beautiful. So you're the backbone of this community, I think, because in it, when all of this was happening, white people in a way got the ability to hide behind their sexuality by masking with white privilege. Like Mm -hmm. you could exist as a white person in America outside of your sexuality and live a perfectly fine life. Whereas if you were black, you already were going through a suffrage Mm -hmm. enough. So regardless of whether or not you were gay, bisexual, trans or whatever, you were still a black person. You know what I mean? You were still someone that is marginalized. You're still someone that is looked down upon and you can't escape that identity. So it's kind of like we were emboldened to, to kind of first come to the forefront and say, this is who I am. I can't hide behind one thing, so I hide behind the other. Right. And in a way, though, it has allowed a lot of different white people, though, to find truth and comfort in their sexuality and their gender identities as we've come to a different place in society 30, 40 years, 50, yeah. 50 years later. And I just want to say, take a moment and recognize the fact that we've become a beautifully colorful family. We have. We have all those voices represented in our cast, and it makes me so happy, dolls. Especially me, because I remember when we were doing our naming process for this show, I made a big deal about it. Not being queer encompassing, it was like the gay dolls, and everyone was like, eh, and I was like, no, it's queer, it's queer, it's queer, and. 
I'm happy to see that it's finally gotten to a place where it is queer and yeah. that we are like using this platform for more than just our voices, our issues, and our concerns. Because like a gay issue, a gay concern, a gay problem is one that is usually paralleled by another community within our queer umbrella. Mm-hmm. Like for every right we get as a gay person, that's a trans person fighting for the same right to do the same thing in yeah. their own bubble and their own identity. Same thing for lesbians. Same thing for people who want to adopt kids one day. Like we are all under that same umbrella, under that same queer platform to fight for our rights. All marginalized people exactly. have to experience exactly the same things that that the queer community has gone through and now the trans community goes through and it'll continue on for all time until we're all homogenized in a way that the people in power aren't just white old men. And what do you like to say? We're going to blur the letters yes. so we all become one. And decolonize our minds. It's a beautiful dream. Decolonize Maybe our minds. We, we learned today. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, current events. So let's talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Current events is... Um, it's, I have to say, I wasn't as first like, oh, I don't know if we're going to do this a good segment and meaty, meaty topics, really important yeah. topics that at first I thought were just sort of like, okay, interesting. And as this evolves forward, you really get deep. Oh, and it's such we an do. important I issue. Have intense moments on the segment. My most intense moments on the show have been in queer events. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank you to Daniel point. Martini, who was not able to be with us tonight, but who is absolutely mm-hmm. uh, the he person really, who stood up and said, yeah, we need to do current events. One, yeah. yeah. So, but he, you also branded this, which is the beautiful part. Yeah. The title itself is maybe my favorite part of the segment. Well, let me jump in here. I know there's been discussion from time to time going, well, do we really need queer events? Do people really pay attention to events? Do people even watch the news anymore? And I think what we've all come to a consensus is if you don't, you should. You really can make a difference. Just one person doing one thing, you know, running for office, voting for someone in office, paying attention to the subjects that are important and doing something proactive about them and not ignoring them. Those things make a big difference in mass. And the only way, sorry to mean to cut you off, yes, okay. um, but the only way to affect change is to take information and figure out how you can. It's more than just like an idea. You kind of have to have like the blueprint to provide yourself with like, if you say like, I want to learn more about trans people, you're not just going to like make those ideas. Sorry, like, snap your fingers. It takes, yeah, happen, yeah. It takes articles, it takes news, it takes media, it takes conversations with people. Do that. So maybe, and it takes the right media, mm-hmm. which is something that you pointed does. out a ton, which is the Gailey Dose, where it's filtered and vetted by us queer folk exactly. and making sure that we really pull the right things for you all when you are listening. And maybe this can be a segment that you show somebody for an educational mm-hmm. process. Like Dante said, that education is the stem of learning more. Oh my God. Are you saying that right here you yeah. me in my track. is the gold standard for queer news <laughs> and media? <laughs> yes. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. That's a pretty, that's a pretty big thing. Know. I will say what I do love about what we do here is there's the facts and then there's all the decor around the facts, mm-hmm. right? And the and sounds like a bunch of lies. No, there's the there's the, the decorate them. The, the decorative <laughs> stuff. Then there's the decor. But, like, but the decor. Quiet. But when I think about the decor of what you read, there's also though that there's a decor that the media puts on things around. Like here's this slanted ass view of the stuff, right? And then there's and trust me, we need like mental health warnings on the current mm-hmm. news because a lot of times it is full of a lot of things that are supposed to really ignite you to do what to sell more ads that's true to sell more ads, ads. Yeah. <laughs> might as well be sell that ass on the internet but if you think about it that's how our we're, our media 
is sensationalized, right? And so if you think about sitting and then actually breaking it down and talking about why is this happening, and I find that so refreshing. Um, personally. This is just so sad. I can't believe this is our last queer uh, season. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about gay, gay in America though. Right now, as we think about queer events, as we're launching, we're in Pride. We're very likely being bombarded with some not great news around yeah. Roe v. Wade. Which is gay, gay, gay but it leads into gay marriage. It leads into like the other big precedents that were set by the Supreme Court in terms of things like gay marriage. So it's like they could overturn Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. I forget what the court court case was for gay marriage. God bless their souls, but it leads leads them to be able to do that for that. And it's like we have taken so such a large part of our lives and loving recent lives, like especially from a generation of just being gay and like being free, that we forget that like we're still fighting. Yeah, like the fight's not over. And there are people who still out there who want the worst for us. Oh, you seek the yeah, yeah. seek it. What, what was the we did the current events around the law in Tennessee that was around marriage mm-hmm. specifically that is almost like set up so that it can roll its way up to the Supreme Court so it can basically kill the same issue. Yeah. So if these are like strategic tactics that I want to call it people that don't love us, that it's hate us. It's like homophobia. Yeah, but if you think about it, it's, it is endorsed hate. Yeah. yeah. And it, how does that keep going, right? The conservative party can try and try for a long time and their march can be really important depending on the media that they consume. But this is the importance of why our queer community needs to be privy to proper media because we can then build a task force to okay. make sure this conservative party no longer starts retracting these things that we've le- worked so hard on. Hard. So yes, the Roe v. Wade, the Roe v. Wade the conclusion's not there just yet, but this idea of it even being questioned right now is so frightening and it does need to provoke us. And we need that information to provoke us because it's a reminder that this fight will and should never end because we need to better humanity, as Helmut always says. (laughs) Well, and and the reality is, Dolls, if you're watching this and if we are in some decisions that have been made around Roe Wade and as we're thinking about gay marriage, what's so important is that we don't stop the fight. We were talking about earlier about MLK. I love the fact that we live in this city in which he was such an important leader of not just this nation, but took a global mm-hmm. perspective on the words he said. And I, I, I've never said this on camera, but I've said it to you all before. I feel like when he said that he had that dream for every child to have meal, shelter, protection, um, education, right? We as a queer community add the element of psychological safety. Like any child should be able to become who they are, right? Without judgment, without fear. Without Uh, fear. It's a big one. There's so many kids that grew up in the world. I was one of them. Fearful of who you will become. Do you know how immobilizing it can be to be fearful not of anything else but who you are becoming and what there is like for your future. Like thinking that the, the, the idea that you are going to exist as something one day is that's so bad and so harsh that almost even like death is a better alternative. Yeah. It's so sad. There's so many. So it many is. people. So and if you think decide. about that, it's almost like the fact that within our podcast group, four of the eight of us are parents. The idea that oh, gay geez. people are not concerned about the lives of children. We are more concerned about their psychological safety than most of you would ever realize. And so we're going to have to keep fighting, not for just ourselves, right? For the freedom to be able to be like, Hey, I married my partner, but for the children Mm -hmm. is ultimately why our fight is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
queer and events. <laughs> it's so it's so exciting really to me. Know. We are not stopping our tracks. We are just taking a pause, celebrating Pride in the best of ways, and being happy that we are in this place in history for this purpose. Oh, well, thank you, dolls, for supporting us. That's not the end of the episode, but still, thank you guys for supporting us. Seriously, I, this means so much to me. Like, I get all like, oh, mm-hmm. this has been such a journey. Bye, I love dolls. You all. Seriously, love keep you. it great. Bye. We know it took some time, but we got your human heart on. Everybody, welcome back to this episode's Human Heart On. Today, we are actually going to have Liliana lead us through an international, a national, and on a local level, Human Heart On. We're getting a three-in-one combo deal. Liliana, take it away for us. (laughs) So, internationally, we have David Kato. Um, For those of you who don't know who that is, he was uh, from Uganda, and... If you don't know the history of Uganda, um, it is now becoming one of the most homophobic places on the planet. And David was considered one of the best LGBTQIA plus and most vocal activists at the time. Um, And he was actually killed in the street. And that was directly due to Western Christian ministers, not ministers, missionaries coming over and essentially telling the Ugandan parliament that same-sex relationships and gay male relationships were a sin against God and spread a lot of misinformation. Um, in fact, the guy that went there and said that actually ended up getting tried as a war criminal because he was intentionally spreading hate and violence against gay people, um, attempted in the U.S. and then internationally. And so David was killed in the street uh, for the work that he did for being gay, um, but was brave and extraordinary all throughout his life in the work that he did. So it's my international. My national is Lily Tomlin because who does not love Miss Frizzle? Yes, she was the voice of Miss Frizzle. Shut and, up. Yeah, she was. Uh, the Magic Rizzle. School of Us. Miss Frizzle was gay. What? Well, I'm, I'm saying that because it was the voice of Lily Tomlin. Yeah. We all um, knew it. Yeah. We all knew it. The way she wrote that school was. Sexy ginger. <laughs> um, and with great taste. And and Lily Tomlin, I, I don't even know. What, I, it's Lily Tomlin. Like, She's a national icon. That's it. Game over. Lily Tomlin, done. Love it. Nine to five. Miss <laughs> Frizzle. Nine to five. Do we need to explain Grace anything else? Human heart on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Human heart on. Lily Tomlin. Um, but yes, she's extraordinary. Has been has paved the way in so many ways. So locally, I would have to say Rhea Pell. If you didn't know Rhea, I'm so sorry because she was extraordinary. Um, if you ever been to Rhea's uh, on Memorial. Ria's was something that Ria started, Ria's Bluebird Cafe, which she was really the first person to invest on that corridor and had these visions for what Memorial would become. Um, I know it's hard for some newcomers to know that Memorial was desolate back then, Um, but it was. And Ria invested in that community, and she invested in all of us. She helped us start Mondo Homo, which was a giant queer event that used to happen in the city. Um, It was awesome. And she took a lot of us in. So if you didn't have a home or a place to go, or you were struggling with addiction or rejection or mental health or whatever, Rhea was there. And every person in this city that's been here for more than 10 years probably has a story about Rhea, whether it was making out with her at the movies or, you know, chilling with her in the backseat of one of her (laughs) amazing, amazing uh, old school cars or, you know, cooking in her kitchen when they couldn't get a job elsewhere or, you know, talking, grabbing a drink with her at Astoria 
you'd ask her how she was doing and she would tell you it was good to be king. And she meant it because, uh, you know, that's a large set of overalls. And I do literally mean overalls. It's a large pair of overalls to fill. But Rio was, uh, when she when she died, I remember being really afraid that that was going to be the end of the queer community in Atlanta because she was such a stable. And, I mean, she played a role in saving me and guiding me. And I, I can't tell you how many other people oh, in yeah. the city. Yeah. Oh, absolutely beautiful. And if you turned in the last 10 years, it was probably because she turned you gay. And but, I heard a little rumor she has the New York Times best pancakes in the world. Oh, is that true? I believe Ria's is rated for that. Mm, I wouldn't be surprised. She's just solidifying she's the Atlanta list. staple right Well, there. she also was on, uh, before she passed, she was on um, Chopped. And so back in the day, uh, there was a restaurant where where uh, Revolution Donuts is in Emmett mm-hmm. Park. Right next to it, Ria owned that restaurant too, and it was called Sauced. And she did a huge watch party and ended up winning Chopped. But she threw a giant party for all of us to come watch, like had all these local chefs set up, drinks, everything. It was very real. And, of course, won um, and celebrated with all of us, but also continued to put Elaine on the map. And I remember when she passed, I was in D.C. I flew down. I was in D.C. doing an internship at the time and came down specifically for her funeral. And the procession, well, one, we couldn't all fit into the building when we were actually into the church when they were actually um, talking about and sharing stories. But on the way down to where she was going to be buried, the procession was so long that we started all started to do the wave. And it was like, it was like over a mile long. Yeah. I mean, like you had queen, you had queens walking in the daylight in heels with no umbrellas or shade. And that tells you dedication. Yeah. And idea. I mean, marching band showed up. It was all love. What and, a special icon yeah. in Atlanta, truly. She's... Still, a lot of us, you'll see a bluebird tattoo. Like, a lot of us will have that. We got that for Rio. How special. Yeah. Well, thank you for walking us through all three of those human hard-ons. So incredible. Everybody, that was this episode's human hard-on. Let's zoom into that doll and double-click. Hey, dolls. This is the final version of the double click that we are doing for season two. And I know there's a lot of finals, but I think that's because these are so important. Each one of these segments in a way to us here at the Gailey Dose. And this particular segment, I'm wrapping up this concept of the double click. The double click has been a mental health moment, if you will, um, here on the show. And it's meant a lot to me. What you don't know necessarily, though I've shared, is that there's been quite a mental health journey for myself on this podcast, and particularly during season two. There have been times where I have barely kind of really known what to do because parts of my life felt really apart and felt really broken um, as I was trying to come to you. And it's really difficult because you know what? We're not perfect. We are constantly evolving and changing. But here's what I do know. As queer people, mental health is already an issue for humans, period. We know that it is at the core of health. And we know that the software that we have is so important to the experience that we have in our daily lives. And we know that we have the most control over our software that anyone else has. And we must take it, we must own it, we must be responsible for our software. I hope that I've conveyed that to you. And sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes we need friends along the way. And you hopefully 
um, have found that the gaily dose is a friend, but I will tell you that most queer folk are friends because they are each invoking their own journey of self-discovery and mental reparation, right? Mental, you know, basically reclaiming their mental health. And so each of us can be friends to each other along that journey. There is no shame in the mental health game. There's no shame in the sex game. There's no shame in the identity game. These are the real things and makings of the future of our society as human beings. So get with the train, get your friends on the train because mental health is where it's at and it's where it's going to continue to be. As we move beyond the basic needs of humans, this is a very, very important place, not only for those humans that are fortunate enough to get to explore it. So if you're listening to this and you have the time to sit and think about postulate, you are blessed. You are in the very wealthiest of humans that have lived on the planet. Many people never got to think that much. Okay. But as we have the honor and privilege of thinking that much, it is also the responsibility to use our thoughts, not only for the betterment of ourselves, but for the betterment of the community and for those that can't think that well for themselves. I think that we lose that somehow in the, the music of the selfishness of this world, that somehow it's just you focused on you doing you and forgetting everybody else. Well, the reality is, is that we are not all given the same gifts in life. And those of us who have been given a lot a lot is on us to be responsible for the rest of our humanity. Why? Because that's just the way it works, right? We are a collective. If we do not care for the collective, we hurt. And at the end of the day, it is a journey of all of us together on this planet. We share the space together. We share the joy that we have together. And ultimately, we need to remember that it is ours to shape and form the future. And the future I like to manifest for each other is one in which we each are given psychological safety. We each are given the space to evolve and become our best selves. And that means that the basic needs for every human are met and we're given the safe space to be who we truly are. I encourage you dolls, don't be lazy about your mental health. Be adamant about pursuing those next levels. And with doing so, you will love yourself and you will indeed love others. Have you heard of AHF? AHF is a global nonprofit that provides cutting edge medicine and advocacy to people everywhere. Regardless of your socioeconomic standing, they provide services that help our community, such as free STD testing. With your support, 96 cents of every dollar earned at their pharmacy goes towards helping HIV and AIDS medical services everywhere. If you want to find out more, go to ahf.org or hivcare.org today. A dose of pride in the non-binary with Liliana Bakhtiari. So we have with us Liliana Bakhtiari. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Doing good. I'm happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. Couple question. Already? Can you pronounce your last name? (laughs) Yes, Bakhtiari. 
R E. Bakhtiari. Bakhtiari. What's the like, Does that name have an origin? <laughs> does it have an origin? Yeah. No. Okay. Yes, it does. <laughs> oh, um, I was like, well, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, I yeah it it's Iranian and Azerbaijani. Okay. Oh, and light. Yes. Very ethnic. Very ethnic. We love us some uh, some ethnic up in here. <laughs> Seriously, though, if you think about it, I think you guys are laughing. Oh, my God. Are we going to restart this? Uh, no, that was funny. I want that in there. That was high camp. No, yeah, but I, I think you're... ethnic up in here. <laughs> right? Well, you are the second? Is it the, the second, second in the state? No, no, no. First in the state. So we'll, First we'll, Muslim in the state. Should we go through the list? Yeah. Let's go okay. through the list. Yeah. So Let's hear all the first out queer Muslim person to run in the country. Yes. Oh, uh, wait. That's a, that's up there. Yeah, to run in the country. I didn't want... I want lost in style the first time. The second okay. time became the... Now I am the second out queer Muslim person to be elected nationally. I'm the first one to be elected in the state, and I'm the first Muslim person, first non-binary person, first queer person on council. There you oh, go. Like I said, a special time and a very special place to be in with you. That's like unprecedented. You're breaking precedents <laughs> or setting precedents rather. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so breaking, breaking glass ceilings. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There you go. It's okay. She's 23. Doors. She's learning. Yes. Slowly Sweet angel. Slowly but surely. <laughs> so as we think about, um, you are now six months, I think, or so into your yes, role. I got sworn in on January 3rd. Awesome. And so tell us a little bit, what's it like? And what are you thinking about the most as we think about this year ahead? Ooh, what's it like? Um, well, because <laughs> there's a lot coming, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it is. I will say full transparency. It's exhausting. It is not easy. Um, but I will say with somebody with a community organizing background, it is a really incredible thing to be able to suddenly organize and be able to do this with resources and suddenly people answer my calls. Um, mm. I think I was described as the inept leftist radical when I was running for office. Oh, really? oh, that's a cute title. I'm not having a jersey made. Um, uh, the first one was called Shit Starter. That I will make into a jersey. That almost fits on the tag. I know. Of a car. Mm. Shit Starter. Shit Starter. <laughs> Just get rid of the vowels. You're there. <laughs> Shit Starter. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, but like, I love the work. This is the work I've done my entire life. I've always wanted to do public service. And the job is incredible because we suddenly, I find myself at the table for conversations around budget, around things that, talking about HAPWA, which is, you know, greatly affects our our communities that are living with HIV and AIDS. Um, we are able to tackle things like talking about our unsheltered population, resources diverted to them, affordable housing, talking about moving towards a diversion of tactic instead of just over-policing, uh, you know, actually being able to talk about what non-binary and gender fluid and queerness is on suddenly in these spaces and bringing forth a perspective that definitely has not been there before. So that's a huge privilege. Am I tired a lot of the time? Yes, I'll be very honest, I am, because I am very, very... Uh, well, I'm still learning on the work-life balance thing because I love the work so much that oh, I definitely <laughs> don't rest as much as I should. Um, but in terms of what's coming next, uh, we're working on access to counsel, which is means that people get access to lawyers if they are facing oh, evictions. Yes. Oh, wait, that's so, amazing. Yeah, and so people imagine if you're low-income, living in a house, and that you, you may have 
been there multiple generations, suddenly property values are skyrocketing, or you're a renter and you're being forced with, you might have face an eviction, but you don't have resources to get a lawyer, this changes all of that. So we're working on getting that signed off on, um, working on climate change issues, working on uh, working on creating a walk-in center for people who are unsheltered. So there's a long list of things. What are some of the climate issues that like the city of Atlanta faces? I don't think I've ever thought about it on like such a macro level. Uh, a lot of them. You know how it was like really hot out the other day. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. Um, no, so th- we are actually we are actually going to become probably the largest climate refugee city on the eastern coast. That's already happening. Oh my god! What is a climate yeah. refugee? People that are displaced due, due to, to climate, climate change. change. Yeah, because oh, wow. it's so so nice, I guess, rather temperate here. Well, I think it has more to do with the fact that you know we aren't close to a lot of ocean. We aren't close to oceans. We mm-hmm. we don't have we don't have the same dealings with rising sea levels. Yeah. I mean, eventually the bound like eventually our coastline will completely change. It already is. Yeah. Um. You we don't have a lot of we don't deal a lot with hurricanes or tornadoes. Uh. There aren't people that are being displaced like fishermen that are fisheries that are being displaced mm-hmm. because of climate change yeah. because of changing sea levels and because. Yeah. Freshwater systems are being polluted by saltwater systems. We could get really niche with this, yeah, yeah, yeah. but also the fact that there's a lot of wildfires that are happening on the western coast and and yeah. and mm. like record-breaking heat waves throughout the northern parts of the well, country. It's been hot here too. Child. It was 80s in February, 90s in May. It's going to yeah. be 130 degrees in August. Yes, yeah, yeah, like, so like walking outside in the summer is like walking through a human mouth. Yeah, yeah. Like a scramble bag at times. But yeah. it's great because I think about things like, you know, recycling services mm-hmm. and things that we actually would put in place and do well or better as a city. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Think about it. Think about all the impermeable services. Think about all the parking lots. All of that creates more heat, True. creates more energy yeah. burden. So you have, black, you have black neighborhoods, historically black neighborhoods, that have more energy burden mm-hmm. because of things like segregation and redlining. So they are going to die at higher rates and have more health issues than more affluent neighborhoods that are able to fight for things like canopies mm-hmm. and able to fight for things or have more green space because they have the privilege and the knowledge to fight for those things. Yeah. So it becomes that makes sense. It becomes incumbent upon representatives to fight for those things on, on behalf of the populations who aren't well-versed in those issues. Yeah. So. So fascinating. You know, you have such a rich history and service before you got into city council. Is that what you're talking about, my ethnicity? <laughs> Again, and rich ethnicity, We love, right? we love we ethnic. Love, <laughs> we love ethnic. You know, you, you've had time in affordable housing, international mm-hmm. affairs. What do you feel like all those past experiences really taught you that you brought to the city council? Yeah, so I... I grew up in a political family, not traditionally political. I had a father who who fought two revolutions in Iran, escaped oh, wow. here in '82. Uh, before and about another uncle that was blacklisted for fighting for women's rights in Iran, um, a grandfather that was tortured by the Shah secret police for decades for his political involvements, great grandparents who fled Azerbaijan when it was USS occupied by Lenin. So I grew up very much in a household that taught me to that voting and like freedom of expression were privileges that were not afforded to many people. And my dad started, I started marching with my dad's in the, and my dad in the street. I said, dad's if only I started marching with my dad and the street when I was eight years old. Um, and started volunteering in shelters around that time. Public service. My dad is Muslim. Public service is the entire foundation of his belief and the way he carries himself. Um, but because of that, as I got older, um, I started traveling when I was about 20 
I came into the city when I was 18, started organizing right off the bat. Like I, I had a history of organizing with my dad in the city, but when I turned 18 and went to Georgia State, immediately started organizing with different groups. We actually started our own NGO okay. um, at when, in our dormitories for highlighting like international atrocities. We made the paper. Um, oh, so, yeah, school paper. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, started organizing around things like affordable housing, unaffordable tuition, the Georgia Dreamers. Um, and then I started working internationally. My first was doing, uh, I started doing protests in France around the uh, unlivable conditions in Iran and the, and the oppressive government there. Um, then I went and traveled through Kenya and did a lot of work there. Um, so parts of Africa, Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, I'll backpack Australia by myself, work in Central and South America. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. But I worked in all sorts of issues because yeah. it was developing world countries. So everything from water crises to real environmental crises. I mean, I went to countries that were completely running out of water. Um, so everything from fem- worked with everything from female genital mutilation to refugees to trafficking victims to um, working with orphans, um, working with refugees that were living on garbage dumps because they weren't being admitted into the country but also couldn't go back to their home country. Uh, so children that were being born in garbage dumps with lesions on their bodies, but there was nowhere for them to go, and that was on the border of Thailand. Um, so severe poverty. Yeah. That is poverty people probably don't even like, think exists because they're so caught up yeah. in like their day to day life. You just get mm-hmm. so used to like your rhythm, like having to go to bed and like uh, a home, mm-hmm. wake up and go out and like yep. take drive a car to work and like you complain so much about like the stuff that like burdens us, but then like yeah. you hear things like this and it's like you have it so good. Like Well, I mean think about it here. We're in a we're in a beautiful apartment mm-hmm. that has AC running, yeah. we have utilities on, have access to running water, Wi Fi. Um I've uh, a lot of the places I traveled, I had none of that. Yeah, yeah, I was living out of a tent and working with people on the ground. And what did that do to your vision of your work? Like that would be obviously grounding. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get here and you're doing your work now. How does that play into the work that you do now here in the city? I always see crisis relief work is always what I've wanted to do. I view very much now in this environment, I mean, I think always, but especially in this environment, politics is a form of crisis relief yeah. um, because of everything that's under threat. We're about to overturn Roe v. Wade, or the Supreme Court is. Um, we're looking at some of the worst humanitarian crises of our time. We have the largest refugee population the world has ever seen and are facing, I mean, parts of the world have actually become unlivable because of climate change. And so when I decided to run here, it was when the Muslim ban first happened. I jumped in. I was asked to run, and I kept saying no um, because I saw politics as, quite frankly, unethical and corrupt. Mm -hmm. And then I learned that you could still be effective. Mm -hmm. And I had done tons of community building, organizing, everything. And then at the end of the day, I I recognized that legislation is what's going to stop a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. And while I don't like the people that are at the table creating that, this is still the system in which we abide by and live in. So we need to still try to change this. Mm Because um, mutual aid networks, like, think about it. You work so hard on almost nothing to try to help one, two, three people at a time. Mm-hmm. And legislation, you can impact thousands of lives at a time. That is so true. And so, I mean, look at that. We, we Roe v. Wade is going to impact millions of people. It is wild to me that that is actually a conversation we're having to have now. Like, Roe v. Wade is something that 
yeah. happened so like it's not like a recent thing. I have I always wonder and I'm not I'm not a person of like big speculative like you know there's a theory but I also mm-hmm. wonder sometimes like wow we're doing this right and then while we're all going to go to the states and argue about that at the state level the common person is spending so much more money to get basic grocery needs mm-hmm. met right everyone's becoming poorer mm-hmm. and we're busy fighting over these silly things when we're all quite unified on some very serious issues that should be the issues we're voting on well, th- well think about it when weight is a serious issue it is but it's it becomes a dis- it's it feels like this distraction like we're really going to argue about this that we all agree on when we could there's so issues. many much more pressing like that issues we 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 won Roe v. Wade. we shouldn't be going back yeah. Yeah. there should be there should be more there should be greater strides being made to move forward Gun control is not a conversation. We shouldn't have to worry about getting shot for going yeah, to the grocery store. At all. Or having an argument in a park and having someone pull a gun on you. Period. Um, it's it, it, we're, nobody, the shootings are, are at an all-time high. And our state just passed, even though we know this, even though we are dealing with so many homicides and mass shootings, our governor still signed into law legislation that makes uh, that allows for less restrictions yes. on gun use. That's yeah. ridiculous. And so you're walking into if you're walking into Walmart and somebody has a gun sticking out of their pants, not properly holstered or anything. That's fine. Um, and as an adult, I feel like that's a shame. Yeah. I'm like, where, where am I? Is this like a bad comedy? Like it's just, yeah. So I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. The hope is to build locally and like to, to build the resources. Cause I was, you know, I was young when I started doing all that and like, like baby young, like younger than this baby young. And, I'm not that young, God Lord. <laughs> um, as my mother would say, you're an embryo. So, um, and, and, Have some skin. <laughs> and so I wanted to come back, build at home, mm-hmm. network, learn these things, build at a local level, learn how to draft past legislation with the hopes of continuing to build to work back towards doing international crisis relief work. Yeah. Um, but that starts with building a stronger foundation at home. Because when I came back, I found a lot of the same poverty here in yeah. some of the neighborhoods. Surprising. You have people that are on the street. I mean, we, there were, there's unsheltered people I've worked with that have frozen to death just outside of, oh. just outside of a restaurant. Um, and you know, I watch people step over some of these individuals' bodies for, rather than asking for help or talking to them, just walk by them like they don't exist. Um, or the fact that there are people that can't afford water. Mm. Or the fact that there are people that, you know, are, the, the dependence on food stamps, EBT, SNAP, all of that has shot up in Atlanta. It's shooting up everywhere. Um, and like you said, that wealth gap is growing. We are the, we are the hardest city to live in right now for, if you, for minimum wage. Yeah. It's so expensive. I was like looking, like exploring the idea of like moving, like when I'm done in the house, I mean, I was just looking, I was like studios, not even like brand new mm-hmm. in a high rise. Yeah. I mean, like we're talking about apartment complex yep. studio, $1,900. And like two years ago, I remember apartment shopping two years ago. Like I lived in a brand new apartment for $1,900 a month in the city. I was like, it's crazy. Like how expensive everything, like gas, groceries, like everything, like real time is getting like Mm -hmm. increasingly expensive. And it's like, for a while, I guess we got so used to things just being the way they were. And like, you kind of accepted it. No one puts energy and thought to it. And now that like prices are skyrocketing, everyone's like, what do we do? What do we do? But then there's no protections in terms of like, what are the controls on capitalism? Because it's like, basically going to exploit what they can exploit. People are going to still purchase and buy what's available for them to, to buy. Like, you right. need this stuff. You need yeah. somewhere to live. And so the the pressure then becomes on us to push back against the market. Mm-hmm. And think about it like this. Like, a tidal wave entering a community, if left unchecked, will completely demolish it. Yes. Yes. But if you shape it, 
it becomes a source for everybody. And like, so if you shape the way it enters a community, great. But unchecked, unmitigated, unmediated, any of those things will destroy everything. It will, 100%. So that is my short answer. This is the hard work, though, that you're facing into. It's it's not easy. And no wonder it takes so much of your time. No, no. So with you being the first Muslim... I got it all wrong. I'm not even going to butcher this. She's the first of a lot of things. She's set a lot of precedents in the state, in the city, and nationally. With that, what is it like navigating those identities with your platform that you have now? Well, yeah, it's difficult. So I'm still growing into those identities. So you know, mm-hmm. when people tell their coming out stories, like for a lot of us, we come out every day, sometimes every hour. Mm-hmm. How many times do you have to correct somebody on pronouns? How many times do you have to explain it to somebody? Um, how many times do you feel gender dysphoria when you're misgendered or somebody doesn't understand your identity? So I have dealt with gender dysphoria since I was very little, but of course I didn't know it was gender dysphoria at the yeah. time. Just like I knew I was gay in preschool, but I didn't know what gay was. Yeah. I just knew I liked girls and that I wanted to kiss them. And that I, you know, Angela and Jolie was the greatest thing to ever walk the earth. That's what so, that's still that's true. Um, just still true. And also her daughter goes to Spelman, I'm going to find a way to meet her. <laughs> we'll run off. That was sounded so creepy. That was. Yeah, and but I, it's okay. Right we're gonna we're gonna kiss each other, run off into the sunset. My fiance's totally fine with it. She totally fine. <laughs> She's with like it. Going, looking behind her. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, we'll just run off together and do crisis work all over the world. Yes, crisis work. Yes, it's gonna be beautiful. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> completely lost track of the question. Oh, my identity. What's most difficult about that? I started thinking about Angela Angelina, yeah. and I was gone. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sexual energy just lifted. <laughs> uh, Mr. Uh, Mrs. Smith. I mean, I got the moment. No, because, except I was Brad Pitt in that movie. Oh, you were, were you? Yes. Yeah, yeah I saw I it was. twice to see you. Uh, I was both characters in my head. It's because the movie came out before you were born. No, yes. not. <laughs> you better oh, run his age into the ground. Into the ground. Oh, so. Jesus. Someone claim me as a dependent, please. No, oh, technically you still can be. So. Really? That's iconic. Let's split it. (laughs) So non-binary in in the seat that you're in. Right. So the gender dysphoria piece. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Coming out, I I did not come out. When I started showing signs of being different, being gay, Mm -hmm. um, not that gay should be different, but in my household it was. Mm -hmm. um, I was shamed for it. Like conservative Muslim household, the family wasn't okay with it. Um, and I have like 30 first cousins. Statistically, I know I'm not the only one, but one of them is That's in the closet. I will, one of them. One of them's in the closet. Where are you family members? <laughs> There's too many of us for me to be the only one. That's correct. So when I didn't really come out to myself until I was 23. Oh and then I didn't start. Yeah, and but it was, I also had a really extensive history of sexual assault and trauma. Oh, I'm so and, sorry. And, you know, you don't really understand that exploring your sexual identity is a privilege Mm -hmm. until like I was Mm -hmm. living in and out of my car from 18 to 23. I love my parents, but it was not a stable household to be growing up in constantly having to suppress my identity, constantly not understanding that, um, me being attracted to all sorts of different people was normal. That didn't mean that I was very confused. I thought you were either gay or you were straight or you were like, maybe like, I didn't even know that the like bi was a thing until I got older. It's just Mm -hmm. nasty. Right. And so (laughs) my mom told me sexual freak. <laughs> yeah, which is oh. a great term, but truly, right? So you hear these well, it's things. It's okay. We can nasty. reclaim nasty just like we reclaim queer. Yes. We were claiming a lot of things. We can claim it all. Yes, honey. Uh-huh. Yeah, cycle. <laughs> nasty queer friends we cycle it all. Progressive colonialism. I'll just take it all. Um, and so, <laughs> and so I, uh, I had 
it was really difficult for me to understand like what I was going through because there was no one teaching me. My birds and the bees talk was my dad talking about how in his hometown village where he was a farmer, he would hide in a tree and beat up girls and guys that talk to each other. Middle Eastern. Um, first generation. <laughs> first generation. Uh, so I love my dad, but yeah, that was rough. Yeah. And so when I came out, finally, which took some time, yeah. then I had to tackle, you know, then it was like, I was like, but I don't, I'm not a lesbian. I know I'm not a lesbian because I'm not just attracted to women. I was dating people. I was attracted to people who were trans, who were ace, who mm-hmm. um, identified as, well, actually at that time, nobody was really using the term non-binary. Yeah. And, but people who were all over the spectrum. Yes, honey. Question. Mm-hmm. Do ace, because I know asexual people is that they don't have a desire to have sex. Do they still engage in sex though? Sex is a circle. So what do you define as sex? And that's a whole mm. different question. I'll round them up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's like something, that's another thing that's also being explored because identities are changing all the time. So I don't know. I think the old school definition of asexual, just like the old school definition of a lot of our gay terminology was like very finite okay. and concrete. So like the old school definition of asexual, yeah, was probably somebody who didn't feel a sexual attraction one way or the other. And it was more about emotional connection than physical Mm. Um, but like, and, and that was something I found with the ace people that I was dating was that it wasn't necessarily about traditional, like penetrative sex. It was all different types. Tantra? No. <laughs> different means of stimulating the other person's body yeah. than uh-huh. just the traditional. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> now you got it. You're really exactly. showing your 23 tonight. Yeah. yeah. It's, Get in it's there. 23. Shining through. Y'all go through. <laughs> <laughs> You're great at showing, Mr. Ethnic. Thank you. Ah! <laughs> My Latina <laughs> self thanks you. <laughs> salt and pepper is in. Thanks, Patty. You're welcome. <laughs> I was a boy. <laughs> She's gone. Um, never, son. Even son. never son. <laughs> boy, not son. Mm. <laughs> Child. And so, <laughs> get, get out. And so the the thing that I, so it was a really big struggle for me the the identity and the fluidity and like not understanding. So it was a lot of like, okay, I'm not a lesbian, and then I realized. Queer. Queer was the identity that fit for me because I didn't fit into L or G or P or T. I said P, I meant B. Um, I didn't fit into any of them. Let's create a P right now. Let's create a P right now. Pansexual. Yeah, pansexual in there. And so for me, the identity of queer was my sexuality is subjective and it's how I define it. It's subjective to me as as it should be subjective to anyone. I love it because it gives me freedom. That's how I've always interpreted it. That my sexuality, my sexual identity my gender identity changes day to day, sometimes hour from hour, um, you know, week to week. It, it's constantly evolving and changing. And so I'm in the process of really delving into my gender dysphoria. I'm having a very hard time in the body that I'm in right now and really beginning to explore what non-binary means to me while in this very public position. So I, I started self-harming at eight because of my issues with my, my disconnection from who I was and not being allowed to explore it and just feeling really backed into a corner as a kid who was mm-hmm. feeling all these things but had no way of expressing them or no way of understanding them or talking to anybody. And so self-harming continued until I was in my 20s. And obviously suicidal ideation is something a lot of us struggle with. And with my gender dysphoria and my disconnection from my body right now, it's still something I struggle with. And I find it really important to be open about that in a public position because there are so many kids that are dealing with that mm-hmm. and adults. Mm-hmm. 
but kids especially, that is so, that's like, that's our, you know, they, they're so vulnerable. Kids are taking in all this information all the time and they're still developing their moral compass, still trying to understand things. And I, it is by the grace of, I don't know what, that I'm still here and breathing mm-hmm. today. More grateful. And at levels and the information they're getting at levels right. that we didn't even get. Right. So you had that without maybe even the whole force of the internet mm-hmm. and the social climate that we're in. No, I saw a dial up. So yeah. So like you didn't get those messages, the good ones and the she bad ones. Right. To so know that there was a community for you right. to know that there were, yeah. um, that is, that's a lot yeah. that you have endured. And you know, to now we're looking at things like, like I have to go to all these doctor appointments because I have developed with some sort of hormonal imbalance. We don't know what, okay. and have developed issues. And so that leads to, I, it took me a very long time to find a gender affirming doctor, which I finally have found. Uh-huh. And now it's beginning to look at health issues, finding out what that is. And I'm on the journey to exploring taking testosterone. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I think it's pretty cool. It's been something that's been very scary for me for a while, yeah. but this is something that I know and now feel is right for my next step. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you. It's so interesting because even as you're just sitting here talking about that journey for you, I mm-hmm. think about all the times that I may have gone up against one of those lines of gender or attraction and then just allowed a societal norm mm-hmm. or an expectation to just say, kind of slap me on the hand, right? Yeah. And kind of, nope, get back in this lane, yeah. right? So to be able to kind of explore that as a youthful person, there's going to be a lot of people. Are you youthful? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but even just just at any point, we can start that explorative mm-hmm. process, right? There's no there's no reason that can't start. Think about. At any age. I mean, I went to the. There's no time. There's been a bunch of joke TikToks about this, but I went like I went to like one of the gay bars and I was like, who in the hell are all you people? Because all of a sudden, everyone decided they were queer during the pandemic. Yeah. Because we, <laughs> we were, but it's true because Straight we were. We were there are a lot like, of exploring men on apps. I was like, I will say, during COVID, I've never had more curious, explorative, like, I'm like, really? all of, so many unsure people all of a sudden. <laughs> because yeah. they sat with yeah. themselves they sat and with asked themselves, themselves yeah. who am I? Yeah, yeah. Right. and then also... I was like a raging, like, homo, like myself in Midtown. And like, I love that. I, I met him like a week into quarantine, like, when you shouldn't have been out and about, and I was like... Oh, I'm gonna meet someone, and he was like, "So, like, how old what were you at like the beginning be of quarantine?" She's I was four, twenty-two. Four years old. <laughs> well, when I was twenty-one. I just turned twenty-one. Being <laughs> but no, it was interesting meeting someone who was so curious about what like gay and like what it was like to be no, because like people, you you'd be surprised how many people are so insular with their sexuality. Right. And, like, they see people I don't like think us we're on surprised social media. In this room. No, and then but it was this interesting conversation. Like, what is it like to be? I thought I was going over to hook up with someone. It became an interview. Yeah. But now seeing him on like, the other side of the pandemic, he's mm-hmm. just like another one of the girls and that's the thing about this is so funny because i feel like there's this i don't know if the word is for it there's like the things you can learn on the internet and there's the things you learn through the other person when you're talking about these things right there's so much about non-binary i have researched it i've read about it i have listened and learned but to actually sit with someone and talk Mm -hmm. about your experience you kind of start to understand other parts of yeah and what's non-binary for me is not non-binary for another person yeah like you Exactly. Right. And and so, talking to people about it is what made me realize it more about myself and mm-hmm. that, like, not being so stuck on, like, I'm a man, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, like, I've been seeing the word non binary for a while now, but it wasn't yeah. until I really started talking to people about it that I was able to kind of grasp what, grasp what that meant for yeah, so, yeah, and you were actually, like, one of the first of few public non-binary people for the public to view mm-hmm. and being one of those first like how do you how do you let that digest into your day-to-day and like what's your truth in that it's actually been difficult for me because I found and I actually had this conversation because we just had a panel with 
with uh, like LGBTQIA plus folks that came and spoke at City Hall for Trans Visibility Day. And I went up there and talked and I was like, I realized in listening to you all that I have minimized myself, made my identity smaller because I wanted to make it easier and more digestible for folks because I felt fear coming into the position and suddenly all this new. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not that I don't have a supportive, like the, it's not that City Hall isn't supportive. It's not that my colleagues aren't supportive. They really are. It's that I was worried about rocking the boat too much and I don't think I admitted that to myself. And so mm-hmm. now I'm beginning to take up more space with it. I'm going to be ordering like, it's like small things for myself, like small wins, like ordering a plaque to go under my name in the main chambers to put my pronouns out there to explain to like writing up a press release that I'm trying to figure out. That's going to explain that I'm both non-binary and gender fluid because identities are stackable because while I'm non-binary, um, sometimes that's also gender fluidity. Um, and so it's also like exploring how do I begin discussing this and educating my colleagues and start the conversation of like, these are my pronouns. This is what I'm learning because I am now in the process of really figuring it out myself while also in the public eye. Yeah. So a lot of it is discussing it very honestly, the raw parts of it, the hard parts, the great parts, the euphoric parts, but also the parts that are deeply triggering and lead to like really deep mental health crest falls um, because that's all part of it. So I think it's highlighting the insecurities and the imperfection and the pain, but the beauty that also comes with it, because it's not this perfect, beautiful, transformative process. And very much just like in, just like in like how we do with people who are experiencing disability, where we only highlight like the positive, like you can overcome, but none of the hard parts. It's very silencing to only highlight like the parts that are considered beautiful Mm -hmm. when in fact the struggle is also beautiful. Oh yeah. And so it's very censoring. So I'm trying to be very open about all of it to also break the narrative of like, to be in politics, you have to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so beautiful. You even being this transparent on a public platform like this, you're not only saying like, Oh, I am non-binary maybe today, but I'm also open to exploring that and giving that narrative to anybody who's out there is so important and so beautiful on its own. Mm -hmm. It's special that you have that much courage to be able to do that. It's a lot of therapy. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's, um, I also think it's, I've realized it is, and I've talked about this with the rabbi, I feel like authenticity is one of our pride values. Mm -hmm. Like to be queer is to be authentic. It's a step into really uncomfortable spaces in our identities, in our sexuality, and then stand there. So like, Literally making the choice, I I feel like to come to terms with your non-binary position in life is to stand in this really awkward place because people can't see it. It is expressed, right? And there are so many norms that we have around what boys do, what girls do. And then you're like, I'm in this place that I'm not these things. Mm -hmm. And you're pushing this shit on me and it's not okay. But you also don't know that I am. So I have to reveal that I am. And you don't even know that you're violating these things about me yeah. because you're just yet you as a society, you rest of you people are not there yet. You're not awoken to the fact that I exist in the middle ground. Yeah. I am. I, I am just, there's TikToks like, I'm just a little guy. Um, and, you know, I'm just a little guy. And so there's like, like, I just want to be the in-between yeah. Yeah. because you think about it, you're born to this world and you're literally told what you are yeah. and the rules you have to abide by. Like, yeah. this is you. Yeah. This is what you have to do. <laughs> yeah. is, law and order. No, you can't do this. You have to, boom, boom. But, 
No, I love this because this is. I think a lot about the non-binary position because I because pink used to be a male color. Because raising daughters, I think you think a lot about well, why? Why is that what you do as a girl? Why isn't it this? Why can't you be both? Why? Why? So I was always taught that I was very different, and then that also that also brings in the whole body shaming culture because you have to look a certain way, Mm -hmm. and if you don't abide by that, and so yeah, it's like. The idea of do not assign gender at birth to let the and let the child figure it out. That's why gender reveal parties are problematic. Besides the fact mm-hmm. that it's white people in California setting the forest on fire with their weird ass <laughs> gender reveal party. Um, like, well, the other part of it though is the traction. I think that one's the hardest. I feel like that was one of the hardest for a non-binary position because mm-hmm. now you've kind of allowed yourself to sort of re- remove maybe what your expectations are of as you look at me. So yeah. like I'm wearing lipstick and like a gloss and I'm you know but I look like a male but I'm I'm featuring female and then others don't know what to do with that I think you know one thing I'm so grateful for that the past year of my life I don't know what really happened with me but it had this like inner awakening to like find and I've always been someone that's been more comfortable with like exploring their like feminine personality attributes but I think it's never went past that besides like personality attributes and like there's lately it's just been like exploration of like dressing a certain way ex- existing in sexual spaces in a more feminine way mm-hmm. and it's something that like now that I'm like comfortable in it has like totally changed the way I feel about myself in the world in a very positive way like it's one of the first times as an adult I have not been depressed or not been like ashamed of even like my body and the way that it looks and the way I present myself in the world and it's been beautiful are you non-binary are you queer? I mean, like, it's not something I'm quite about. Yeah, I would never consider myself non-binary. Like, I don't, I haven't considered myself, like, is it male affirming? I think I'm just making shit up in my head now, like, terms. But, like, I haven't considered myself, like, stridently male for a while now. Like, it just is not something, an experience to me that is normal. Like, I feel more in between, more, mm-hmm. like, there's fluidity in how I wake up and exist in the world. And, like, there are times when I want to wear, like, a polo shirt tucked into my pants. Like, even this little, like, French tuck, like, it's a woman's blouse with women's shorts, but presented in a slightly masculine-leaning way. But all of it is, like, who I am and my summative whole. And it's, like, something that I'm happy I finally found comfort in and something that doesn't, like, isn't a source of stress for me. Right. I am so happy. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> because this is like, yeah, this is like, yes, this is like our last, our last, sorry, this is our, like, um, yeah, we're closing out the season and then to have um, Dante just say that. This podcast to, like, has been have part that of that evolution for, me, for yourself. We have met hundreds of people Beautiful. that I feel like you would never really talk to from day-to-day yeah. life and this podcast has forced us to have those conversations. <laughs> So as we think about pride, and we think about pride and this non-binary and the evolution going forward, Mm -hmm. what is it that you kind of wish, hope for in terms of our people um, concerning non-binary? What what can you see for our future, or maybe just the future of pride in general? Make my accomplishments today look dusty in like two years. Yeah, so... The point of this is what. what, (laughs) That was so so fucking smooth. (laughs) Are you aroused? Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fluidity. Yeah. Yeah, but the point is, is like these accomplishments. Like as proud as I am yeah. of where I am, how I've gotten here, um, which has not been a perfect road. Let me also be very clear yeah. about that. I have done harm to others. I have been imperfect. I have messed up. 
Are you human? Um, I'm very human. <laughs> Same. But I think, Same. but like, I think that that's also one of the detrimental things of cancel culture is that there's no allowance or room to be human and make corrections when you have messed up, um, which people do every single day. Mm-hmm. Now, some mess ups you can't come back from, but others. <laughs> no, Harvey Weinstein needs to. No. Oh, so I'm really delving off point here. So to the point of. <laughs> What I hope this community accomplishes, like there are there are more than there are more than two genders. There's more than just non-binary, gender fluid, male, female. There's there's an infinite number of possibilities out there. I don't know what the future is because um, we're creating it every single day. Mm-hmm. We're completely we're constantly decolonizing our mindsets, deconstructing yes. our programming, fighting back against what has been entrenched. And in fact, this whole idea of straight, gay, all this, these finite boxes that are put been put in are actually not natural. And in fact, if you take a look at any of our history, none of it is natural. If you look at the if you look at the civilizations and the groups that have come before us, things like Native American culture, five different genders, multi genders, two spirit ideology, all of these different things, even animals in the wild that have some that can go back and forth between sexes or explore same sex relationships. So my point in all of that is is it's really like almost like we're going back to a time before religion. Western religion yes. ideology took away our freedoms. And so, and then building upon that, like what, like what the infinite possibilities that are out there. Yeah. So keep exploring your gender identities, come out even younger, get rid of gender reveal. Let's talk about when a child is born and how we, and how we allow them to choose in their own way and cultivating a future that allows for that type of freedom while also creating deep, meaningful connections. Um, yeah. So just continue to make us look dusty. Yeah, yeah. decolonizing our mindset. That's, that's yeah. with me. I'm gonna yeah. a t-shirt. And the and the, ultimately, it's the blurring, the mm-hmm. blurring of the letters, and yeah. the embracing of all colors of the rainbow that are inside us. It's a big blur. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Blur. This was yeah. amazing. Incredible. Yeah, thank you. Ringling, dingling. I think someone called for Doctor Dose. So for this Dr. Dose, we are going to bring it to you again, sponsored by Atlanta Pride. Atlanta Pride is more than just a festival that we celebrate, but it is also greatly committed to our gender diversity and to sexual identity here in the city. Check them out at atlantapride.org. Yes, God, honey. Yes. So this particular Dr. Dose, I'm going to ask you to be our doctor, Dante. Okay. And we're going to actually um, not have a caller. I wanted to talk about, we have a... um, cast member crew person who had a uh, has a kid that recently came out as non-binary and I was talking to one of my daughters about Mm -hmm. um, some non-binary identification going on in her school so I thought we just she's 13 okay and I um, I thought we would just do a what is the advice you'd give to a kid that was coming out or wanted to talk about being non-binary with their parents so you're our doctor. So give us a little okay. bit of the thoughts. The thermometer. Well, you're uh, a child. You can tell us, right? We don't have the stethoscope. <laughs> we don't have the stethoscope. Where is it at? You still think it's a thermometer. <laughs> you wanted to bring that light. Thermometer, stethoscope, you know. Same thing. They both detect. They don't both detect. They don't. Oh, they right. Don't. So. Oh, my. Harking back to when I came out. Harking. Wait a minute. Bitch, this is my 10-year anniversary of coming out. Uh-huh. And All rounded up. Oh, I love that. So harking back to when I came out 10 years ago, there was a lot of, and I have the privilege of seeing this, but there was a lot of media and reality television being prevalent where like I could see 
real examples of gay people, whether or not it was exag exaggerated or not. There were like visible gay people in the mm -hmm. world, so like I was able to identify with something. But what would have made the coming out experience easier for me and make make more sense to me and like a comforting vibe for it all would have been if there were adults with influence who would have accepted it or even like allowed me to explore those things. I think a lot of mm -hmm. younger people get so lost in their identities and so get caught up in like the wrong things in life, I guess you could say, because they're yeah. so gung-ho on like exploring themselves, but in a way that is done so secretively that no one ever figure out and it leads to all these other precipitates because there's simply not someone allowing it to happen. You mean like also early addiction starting on certain things yeah. that escape? 100%. Like, and you have to think of like if water is flowing down a river and there's a, a dam there not letting the water go, eventually that dam is going to break. Unless, unless if we would have just let the water flow freely, you would have a wonderful ecosystem created because of it. So it's, it's kind of like that thing where like adults have to start taking the lead on letting kids do things that are not necessarily harmful to them as the way some adults may view it, but le letting them explore what life will be for them when you're not present. Because there's going to come a point in time in a child's life when they're not going to be an adult with control, per se. And there's like okay. a safe way to let kids explore that a lot of adults are afraid of, so they simply don't let the kid explore. Oh, yeah. That's why, it, it's why when I, when I turned 18 and I got out of the house, I almost died from alcohol poisoning at the age of 18. That because is I had so never, I, there was no exploring, there was no nothing. I was just plunged right into it. And yeah. I had, not saying you should let your child, like your children experience things, but I wasn't allowed to hang out with people. I wasn't allowed to leave the house. I wasn't allowed to do anything outside of sports. Um, my mom was afraid to even let me have friends. My, my, my mom was a lot. So then 18 like, hit and you just did the polar opposite. Oh my God, yeah, 18 hit, I had a car and I was wild. like, goodbye. That's, yeah. that's so many people's experiences because you, get, you feel trapped for so long and you, have, you don't have the ability to do so much because again, adults have so much power over a child's trajectory in life. Yeah. So it's like once that adult is removed from the equation, the kid is like, oh, oh fuck yes, like let's go do whatever we want to do. It was, and it was 2006, I found, I found denim mini skirts and I was off to the races. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then I think what you're kind of saying is like, what would be like maybe the foundational start for a parent speaking to this, right? Like would, it, flipped, would it be yeah, simply, yeah. would it simply be just like creating the space for there to be a safe conversation and how do you assure that in your child but it's got to be more than a conversation well, like I, as a parent i think you can probably speak to this but you want to nurture that child's experience and nurture them and have them be a healthy wholesome human and you want that to happen in a way that is done safely ideally ideally when we were talking about earlier about like you know make these like accomplishments dusty ideally a child would never have to come out mm -hmm. ideally there would be no need for there to be some grand announcement i mean like are you going to come out when you're straight actually we should do that all of you have to come out when you when you realize you're straight but, that's boring. but no <laughs> my point is is that we the ideal here would be able to work towards a world in which coming out and some big thing around that that develops anxiety where a child doesn't know what to do does it need to even happen? Mm -hmm. um, like for me, when I was by myself growing up, I, when I was alone, I had my alter ego that was Nick. And when I was alone, I got to be Nick. I got to be a boy. Oh, and I knew, no one told me that I couldn't say anything, but I knew I wasn't allowed to. I knew that I could only be mm -hmm. Nick when I was by myself with nobody else around. And I couldn't tell anybody about Nick. And I was in elementary school. So clearly like I can't go back to that mindset of understanding why but like I knew that I was in an environment that was not ever going to be welcoming to that nobody had to say it and so I think and I think constantly and I didn't have the birds and the bees talk there weren't reassurances around me being 
Rami being beautiful or handsome or anything. There wasn't a lot of positive um, affirmation. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't any of that. And because my parents were struggling with mental health and cross-cultural trauma and mm -hmm. generational trauma and hadn't dealt with any of that, all of that, you know, that is also generational as well. Mm -hmm. You know, you children, that, that has passed down from generation to generation to generation. And if it's not talked about, if it's not discussed, it only perpetuates it. And so I think one of the things that parents can do is one, take care of yourself, go to therapy, you're never too old for it, deal with your, deal with your shit, deal with your trauma. I can say shit, right? Shit. shit. And so. Fucking <laughs> deal with your shit, bitch. Fucking deal with your shit. Because <laughs> um, if you're not taking care of yourself, then you're not gonna create a positive environment for your child. And the things like my mother was obsessed with weight, and she said she never wanted me to worry about that. It is, it, but it was every part of my everyday life. So it, my my brother developed an eating disorder at a young age. So like it was, I did too. It was very much like by not talking about it, but by constantly seeing her struggle with it. We of course, it was you know it was a consistent thing. Um, and when she got monkey too. And when she got angry, she would insult her weight because that was the thing she hated the most. Yeah. Wait a minute. Um, like, she would get mad at y'all like that, but that would be like something she'd like. Yeah. Oh, um, so and so, but again, because my mom had mental health issues she had not dealt with. Yeah. And same thing with my father. And same thing with my grandparents. Same thing with my aunts and my uncles. Same thing with my cousins. And so it was just very dysfunctional. And I think all of us can say that we've had some sort of experience with that. Okay. Everyone struggles with mental health. If you are not taking care of it, then you are then you are not taking care of others. It's not your fault if you're Ooh. cut and bleeding, but it is your fault if you bleed on others. Yeah, and I've never so, heard that thing. I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, it's your yeah. job to seek the to seek the attention you need to make sure that you're not bleeding on everyone else around you, and you can't be a part of someone else's universe when you're the center of your own. And so, to make a welcoming environment for your child where they feel comfortable coming out, you need to go to therapy. You need to talk about the uncomfortable things, and you also need to take the opportunity to learn from your kid because children have a much purer perspective than we. Can could ever go back to having yeah. and so also make room to understand that this may not be a permanent identity for your child someone may come out as gay or non-binary and then they may decide later yeah. in life that they want to identify as a woman yeah. or as a man or something else entirely mm -hmm. so constantly make space for that growth to continue happening I think that is so key because at the end of the day as a parent mm -hmm recognizing that as we're exploring as a society there's a lot of pressure for kids to do things like are you going to come out are you gay are you bi are you like they're they're facing into these things at ages in which they may not have even completely sexualized mm -hmm. right and oh by the way that we've all changed so much from 13 period yep. in the ways that we feel about who we are and how we identify right. and it can be that you come out much later, in your 40s, 50s. Yeah. So it's like, it is that like, hold on mama, calm down. Your kid's exploring and they're in a time and in an age in which they're asked to explore mm -hmm. and the need to identify yourself and put yourself in a letter, in a box, is not something we need to put pressure on our kids on. I feel like it's like, hey, okay, you're that, cool. Let's talk about what that means. Let's talk about how we deal with that and how we support you in that. And don't feel like you have to be a letter. Mm -hmm. because you may become something different. Yeah. I will say, to piggyback and wrap it on up, one of the biggest hindrances, and the reason why me and my dad do not have a relationship now completely is because we, my mom, decided that it would be best if we went to therapy to deal with, like, because I was out to my parents, very traumatic, but that it would be best if we went to therapy. We went to therapy, things were uncovered that dealt with why 
my parents would have had a negative reaction to them having a gay child. My dad shut that down. We never went back to therapy. Me and my dad have never had a relationship since. 13. 13. And, and it was Just weird because we year. were close. Uh, shut up, <laughs> Jesus. But we were like best friends and we went to being like, not mortal enemies, but like strangers. Like I couldn't tell you anything about my dad's life yeah. right now. Nor could you tell me anything about mine, but like a simple conversation and understanding of the other person would have went so far in nurturing the relationship that we could have had now. So don't be afraid to work through your own traumas and mm -hmm. explore those and embrace your child because you're your special responsibility, period. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming to another segment of Dr. Dose. And next time on season three, we will have a thermometer. A uh, stethoscope. stethoscope. Both. Dolls everywhere unite. It's the call to Kiki. All right, this is the call to Kiki brought yeah. to you by Atlanta Black Pride. Atlanta Black Pride celebrates the unique intersection of black and gay here in yes. our city. Check them out at atlantablackpride.org. I'm up. All right. All right, girl. Segue no, yeah, yeah. So go myself. ahead. Bring, bring us to the call to Kiki, girl. <laughs> First and foremost, I want to thank every adult out there for listening to me rant and ramble on the end of all these episodes I for know, two Jesus seasons. Christ. Now, shut the fuck up. <laughs> for two seasons now. Um, this is something that started out of like a, I would love to like talk to people about what they should do after listening to the episode, but it's kind of grown into like this thing where throughout the episode, I'm kind of thinking of like, what impact could you have in this world outside of just sitting in your car, sitting at your office, sitting in your house, listening to this podcast and then taking all this information, whether we've talked about trans issues, whether we've talked about, um, finance fetishes, um, we've talked about a myriad of issues that we've always challenged you with the mission to go out there and talk to someone else about it. And I want to make this last call to Kiki we do for season two, something that has a little bit more impact, you know, because filler is temporary. Let's do something that's surgical, invasive, and that's going to change some shit around. Um, I want you to, after listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. to actually go do something that is effective in your community, whether it's getting involved in local government, getting involved with a new charity or organization, whether it's starting something with your friends that is a podcast, that is something online, that is a new Facebook group, do something that actually affects change outside of just talking talking to someone. We've done enough talking. If you listen to this podcast, listen to all my call of kikis. I want to see you actually try to do something that affects change in your community, whether it is here in Atlanta, Georgia, the United States, somewhere around the world. I know you're listening to us in Honduras with closed captioning, probably. Um, we're actually popular in Honduras and Belize. Um, <laughs> the metrics. Um, but if you're listening, I just want to see some you just step your pussy up and do something with this. Like you have it. No, you have it in you to do something that is amazing, that is beautiful. We did it with this podcast, something we never thought we'd be able to do. And look at us now, how far we've come. You can do it too. I know you can. I know you want to. Believe in yourself and you can change the world. I promise. Thank you, Dante. That Thank was you. beautiful. It was beautiful. And such a great way to celebrate um, pride um, and pride in the non-binary. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for joining us, Liliana. This was just fantastic. We love having someone ethnic on. It was amazing. <laughs> we love some ethnic. <laughs> we just love it. Dolls, um, <laughs> we thank you so much. We remind you to love yourself, love others, and don't forget to smile. Bye-bye. Bye, dolls. See you guys in a few months. Bye. Bye.